Blog Talk Radio. Monday, November 14th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome to Blaze and Rye Radio. Tonight on the show, we got Broadway veteran Mark Kudish, as well as rocker Chad Kachula. How do you like that for some alliteration? And I am joined by my lovely co-host, uh, Erica Lustig. Erica, how are you doing? Hey, Ryan. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, sounds Good. like you maybe splashed some, some cold water in your face. I tried. Uh, I'm trying to Ate a little bit of ravioli, you know, trying to wake up to take a nice big nap before this, which was probably not the best idea, but I'm here Hold and I'm ready to go. You splashed ravioli in your face? No, I ate ravioli. I feel like eating oh, helps. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <sighs> let's let's get down to the panel tonight. It's going to be the two of us. Um, okay. Let, let's talk about uh, the, the GOP candidates, uh, except for two of them, and that's... Um, um, what's his, uh, Ron Paul and what's the other guy's name? Mitch Huntsman. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Huntsman. Yeah. Ron Paul hey, and John. John Huntsman, the the poor man's Mitt Romney, as they say. Uh, the two of them um, are are against are the only ones who came out against waterboarding, whereas every single one of the other thousand Republican candidates uh, said they were for waterboarding, which according to it's many people. Crazy. Important. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's crazy. Um, and I, I, it's scary. It's actually a scary thing to think that so many of them want to reinstate that. Um, I think it's absolutely torture. There's really nothing I can think of that's worse than that. But I think there are also other methods that would be equally as effective and less physically torturous, like forcing people to listen to reggaeton or something like that. I think there are other ways to go about this. This is a uh, – this was a policy that was implemented under the Bush administration and then revoked then taken by away, the Bush right. administration. Like even right. George Bush knew he had gone too far. Um, exactly. And when that happens, Donald you know you don't want to go back and touch that again. Right. Uh, yes. And John McCain um, came out against it. Uh, President Obama said some things uh, that, you know, it's just not it's not how we do things in this country. Um, exactly. And what do you think of the fact that, that even, like, how far how far do people have to go to, to win over this base is what I don't understand. Like, how, I mean, what's, what's next? Like, show executions on, on live TV? 
Well, I think of the people who were cheering, you know, in these, uh, I watched the the news footage of these candidates talking about how they're for waterboarding, and there were people in the background cheering when they said it. So those are the kind of people I think that uh, would be cheering to see live executions on TV and such. There are sadly people those... in our country that are into that sort of thing, but... Uh, well. Uh, I think those very people that you just mentioned are the same people who cheer when a candidate says, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, and they they crowd goes wild. And they listen to your show, Uh, I'm sure, religiously. (laughs) Um, Hi. I I had an exchange with a Tea Party uh, member on Twitter last night. uh, Did you? It was not political. It was about Coldplay, where I said, is it just like, is it me, or or, like, am I weird for not, I don't get it. Am I weird for right. not getting Coldplay? And this guy plotted back at me and um, said something like, well, when they said that they were the next coming of U2, that's when I stopped paying attention. And then I said to him, well, I understand that because that's yet another band whose music I cannot listen to. And then the guy right. was like, uh, oh, I guess we can agree that, the, you know, yes, they're the same and that they both suck. So uh, I looked at his, his Twitter thing and it said, Tea Party and a hashtag. Yeah, so I, it, I, guess I was going to say, how did you know he was a Tea Party member? Was his handle like Tea Party Rock Anthem, or how did you figure <laughs> that out? No, there was like in his description there was a Tea Party hashtag, so uh, I realized yeah. that I had just agreed with a Tea Party or on something. You you had just wasted a good six minutes of your life. Is what you're <laughs> um, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about. Um, there's a rapper, Lil B. He released a song today called I Got AIDS. It was all the rage on Twitter. It was trending like crazy. I saw um, that. Some people think that it's uh, a genius. Some people think it's it's awful. What do you think? Genius? genius. Have you listened to it? Yeah, I listened to it. I, 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 how anyone can think that's genius it makes me hurt inside because, you know, I try to write comedic songs and I thought this was one of them for a minute. I, and, and AIDS isn't funny, but I was thinking at first that it was along the lines of like Team America World Police when they were singing about everyone's got AIDS or uh, who else did an AIDS song? Oh, Family Guy did a, you know, You Got the AIDS song. And I was like, is this a joke? And it's not, clearly. But it is some of the most juvenile sounding rap. I could rap better than that. And I'm me. <laughs> like, uh. I I I I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know what it's for, that, why he did it. I, I mean, I, I, I get what you're trying to do. No, no. I think he's trying to give you give a message and try to write one of these powerful songs that gives a message about. But like listening to it, I was cringing because he half the song he talks through it. He's like talking like like doing role playing with like talking on the phone and telling people he has AIDS and and I think it's a almost a mockery to people that do because it's one thing okay if he does have it i totally retract the statement and this is his way of dealing with it and that's horrible and i'm sorry but if he doesn't have it i feel bad for anybody who listens to it that does and it's like um no that's not quite exactly how it works (laughs) telling people and and dealing with such a horrible diagnosis um yeah it's it's quite the song uh you know when people are are singing on the phone and talking and stuff, 
uh, I really that's you're you're venturing into into insulting a lot of R. Kelly territory here, and I don't much appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and even Eminem a little bit. I'm like, this is Word. the kind of song that I feel like Eminem could have done if he had written it properly, where you're making a strong statement about what it's like to get such a horrible disease. This guy failed, <laughs> failed miserably. It's very juvenile. It, even the beat is like, there's nothing there. The lyrics are horrible. And I was just cringing listening to it. And, and who's Lil, Lil B? I find it references to the rapper Juvenile. What does he have to do with this? <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. I was just going to ask you um, who Lil B is, because you know I'm not well-versed in these sort of things. I don't even did know he, who Lil B is. Does he, come Lil after Lil, does he come after Lil <laughs> A? Look, I, I mean, let's, I can't. I can't touch that. Um, so uh, Michael Buble uh, was in New York doing a concert for iHeartRadio, and he was like, uh, I'd like to bring out Kim Kardashian, and the audience gasped, and then he was like, no, nah, I'm just fucking with you. Um, that face isn't, isn't coming out of my stage. Uh, um, a very weird moment. Well, what think you of this moment, Eric Olesic? Uh, I just, I, I would love to see, you know, crooner Michael Buble say, that bitch ain't coming on my stage. <laughs> it's so out of character that it, it, it makes me chuckle. Um, you know, I don't follow the Kardashian stuff. All my gays do, but I don't. I have no marriage to it. <laughs> Neither does she. But I honestly just, I don't get it. I think this is ridiculous that we're all spending so much time talking about somebody who spent, what, like, was it 40 days, 70 days married? It's a joke. Like, didn't Britney's Vegas wedding last longer? I don't know. Regardless, I think it's stupid that we're even talking about, and we as a people, mm-hmm. not you and me, but we as a as a as a culture, when there's so much going on in our world right now, that we're talking about what this ridiculous girl is doing. I don't blame him for making a joke. He is not the first one to make a joke. He will not be the last one to make a joke. Um, but it is, I think, out of character for him. So yeah, I got him some well, press. I That's do blame better. him. I do blame him for making a joke. You know how this whole thing made me feel. A certain way? Mm-hmm. Q song. Blazing Rye Radio no longer retains the rights to the certain way theme song. Hit the brakes, <laughs> Florence. Back to you, Ryan, and what's her name? What just happened? You lost the rights to that song? It's, uh, this is news to me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, I, Ryan, I hit the button, and that's what plays. Means, this means that I can write you a new certain way song. Yes, absolutely. I would love you to. We um, should have a contest. You know what? Okay, let's do that. But before we do, Erica, I think that we should bring on our first guest. A certain way, uh, Michael Bublé, obviously saying that I, I, the whole thing. I think that he should just be, he should be a little bit cooler if he's going to pull a stunt like that. Like he's not even as cool as AJ from the Backstreet Boys. Oh please, that's not true. I disagree with you on that. I like Michael Bublé. <laughs> uh, it's just a different. We have different taste. <laughs> all right. Agree well, to disagree. I guess our first guest is a three-time Tony nominee currently starring in The Blue Flower at Second Stage. Please welcome to the program, Mark Kudish. Hey. Well, that was nice. Hey, Mark. How are you? Hi, Mark. Good, man. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Well, you know, as I was doing the uh, preparing your intro, I was I was thinking of listing all of your credits to give the listener an idea of what you've done. But then I realized we'd be here all day, so 
no thanks to you and your extremely diligent work ethic. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about what you're doing now. Um, tell us about the new uh, show that you're in, The Blue Flower. Um, well, uh, it's, it's honestly, it's a very hard show to describe. Um, it is musically a cross between, um, I want to say, Kurt Vile and Country Western. And okay. um, I mean that literally. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, but strangely, I tell you, the, the, the sound of the music mixes, because you'll hear like this, you know, you'll hear a baritone bassoon just sort of haunting, and then you get a slide guitar flying in at the same time. And mm. for some reason, it's just, you know, it's like when whoever decided to put pineapple on pizza, you know what mm. I mean? Good. <laughs> Good uh, and it's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's like a crazy sound, but it's really fantastic, and it's a really deep show. Um, it's it's about, you know, uh, four artists in the uh, pre- and post uh, German First World War, Weimar period. Um, I mean, it's, it's you know, just about, you know, it's about the search for artistic perfection. It's about the the desire and the drive to try to do things a little bit better than we did it before, you know. Sure. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, it's staged. It's, it's about Dada. It's very expressionistic. Um, and at the same time, I think it speaks pretty much to anyone that's ever endeavored to try to do something better than the last time they did it, you know. Yeah, and I, I hear that you um, you sing in native languages. Uh, does that bring a lot well, of challenges? Well, yeah, to I mean, I speak, my character Max um, has decidedly, at a particular period in time, decided to, you know, essentially his own revolt against, you know, society and what was going on in that period of time was to choose to speak in a language of his own creation. Mm -hmm. And um, so I speak all night long in what we term Max Peranto, and I sing in it a little bit as well. Wow. Um, and, uh, did you make that up? Yeah, I pretty much did. I mean, it was all written out in English, and then, you know, the writer said, okay, create your language. Huh. So I created the language. Of course, there are super titles so that you can understand what I'm saying in English. Wow. At times, there are times when I'm just speaking and um, you get the sense of what I'm saying, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm doing my job. That's great. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and your your character is, is actually based on a, a Max Beckman. Did you have to do any digging into the, the real life of this uh, German uh, painter? And did you... Did you find any Well, you know, we all did. I mean, we all sort of researched a little bit of that Dada period, and we all researched uh -huh. the, um, you know, the artists because, you know, um, uh, Marie Curie and, um, um, I mean, they're they're all based on real people. And Hach, and mm -hmm. um, who was a, a great, you know, um, expression, you know, a Dadaist <laughs> performer of the time. But, um, you know, they are fictional characters at the end of the day. And um, they are our own expression of our feelings about that stuff. So, um, you know, we delved as far as it was to know that period and to know, you know, what the Dadaistic movement was about, but more to the point so that we could express ourselves now. Do you know? Right. Because mm -hmm. Dada like is... It, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I always feel like, you know, you should be able to do the research in the script that you have in front of you. Absolutely. And Dada is, is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it is an entity of surrealism? 
You know, it's interesting. The Dada movement, which happened after World War I, it happened, it started in Zurich, and then it spread through Europe. It eventually made its way to the United States. It was a movement that was basically anti-art. It was anti-anything that people were finding to be important at that time or were pushing as important. And the Dada movement was very much to make ridiculous of that that was being taken very seriously. Hmm. So it was anti Yeah, but it was anti-art. So if there was anything that was respected at the time, they found ways to completely, you know, mock it. Hmm. Sure. And, and you know, what is the significance? No, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, what's the What's the significance of the blue flower in in German art? Uh, again, interestingly, uh, the blue flower was an icon uh, of artists at the time in their ongoing search for artistic perfection. Uh, during the Weimar period, you know, it's interesting. There were three reigns, let's say, in Germany. The first mm-hmm. reign was that of, you know. Um, uh, the the um Han- you know the 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 the, the Hanovers, mm-hmm. am I right? The Habsburg, I'm sorry. And um mm-hmm. and after that, it was the move to the Weimar Republic, uh, which was for a very brief moment uh, Germany's moment of democracy at that time. And then with Adolf Hitler and the movement, uh, it, it went into a third reign, or in German Reich. Right. And that's what the Third Reich was. It was the third essential establishment of, 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 you know, their government and society. But for that very brief period of time between World War I and World War II, Germany was this volatile democracy, mm-hmm. you know, where people were speaking out, where people were sitting in the middle of the street complaining about the way that things are. Where, you know, where people, where government was, you know, um, oriented in terms of, of political movements. You know, sure. it's sort of not different than what we're going through today. Right, going through right now. Sounds like Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you, have you been, been, when this whole Occupy Wall Street thing is going on, do you, are you drawing parallels as you're doing this show and uh, to that time and this time? Well, I absolutely. I mean, I don't think we have to do anything. I think it's just, to me, it's obvious. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. it's interesting, though, because, you know, of course, everybody's complaining that it's a bunch of lazy people down there and there's nothing really happening, um, mm-hmm. which I disagree with. But uh, at the same time, the, the amount of art that came out of the Weimar period, the expression that, you know, I mean, that was when Weil wrote all of his music. That's when, mm-hmm. you know, the German filmmakers came out like crazy with incredible movements in film. Artwork was all over the place. I mean, like, it was a very creative time because it was so very volatile. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's a very creative time now, right. you know. Um, so there are there are already parallels without us having to draw any kind of comparison on our own. Sure, I guess they're already mm-hmm. there. Uh, Mark, I read a quote of yours from an interview saying that all your characters have one thing in common. They're all on the edge of something. What would you yep. say that your character in the blue flower is on the edge of? Oh, God. I mean, sanity. Um, <laughs> sanity, uh, stability, um, uh, reason. Um, I mean, you know, the, the entire play is what we like to call a fever dream. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not giving anything away when I say the play opens with, you know, Max having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And then comes the fever dream, which is the entire evening. Um uh, I like playing characters that are on the edge of, you know, 
breaking. I mean, you know, anybody that seems to have a sense of themselves or is desperately trying to hold to some sort of truth that they've, you know, used as a weapon Mm. or as a standing ground or anything, and there's a huge sever in that. I mean, that's why we go to the theater, I think. We go to see people that we can recognize on the brink of something so that we can experience that without actually having to go through it ourselves. Right. Wow. Um, Why do you think that you're consistently cast in these roles, these edgy roles? I think in some ways, um, I honestly, one, because I think I'm the one guy that will actually do the job. Um, I, and I uh-huh. literally mean I don't know that other people want to take the job <laughs> um, okay. because it's work and, and it requires you to put yourself at risk. Um, be, I, and, I, and I think that um, I do that a lot. When I'm on the stage, I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to engage in the event. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm willing to throw myself in and not... Um, let's just say comment on myself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't judge myself, nor do I judge the moment. Um, I believe in, you know, a conversation with an audience. Um, yeah. So I give it unapologetically. And I think that that's why I end up with these characters. I think largely because I just sort of carry edge anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just so think, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I'm not going to be no disrespect, and I don't mean it this way, but I don't see that anyone's going to cast me as, let's say, Billy and anything goes. Mm-hmm. I I just think that for whatever the reason is, um, who I am as a human being, I just carry, I don't know, a certain intensity and a certain commitment to risk. That's yeah. so cool. Um, I, I want to, uh, I know uh, Eric is chomping at the bit to ask you a question, but um, I wanted to read you a quote, uh, Mark, that I saw. Uh, one of my friends, Tom Fogarty, his Facebook the other day after he saw your show, oh, my God, we are just back from the brilliant production of The Blue Flower, stunning, raw, a meditation on life, death, love, what it means to be an artist, and the utter and total devastation wars wreak on humanity. What Mark Kudish and Megan McGeary are doing is nothing short of miraculous. That's quite a quite a review. Well, I'm glad that somebody like felt the impact that way because I'm not going to lie and say that the piece isn't kind of confusing. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. It's nice, you know. It's nice to see that somebody was affected and/or found themselves um, moved that way. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, but I mean, if, if if you're not willing to walk out on the stage and risk saying something personal. And unapologetic. I just don't know why else you do it. Right. Yeah, I get entertainment. You're in the wrong you know? Yeah, but I mean, look, I I love to entertain, but I think you know it's sort of like you can entertain and you can engage. You can be provocative and you can you know give people their 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 dollars worth of entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Erica. Yeah, um, Mark, you're talking about all the edgy characters that you've played, um, but I'm curious, are there any roles that you have played that you would never want to play again from your past? You know, on all sincerity, I don't know that I'd want to play any of the characters that I've played again because right. it is beyond draining. Yeah, I can imagine. I- I just, you know, like, I'm glad that I did the Blue Flower. I, I, I'm glad that I got to, to create and, you know, perform this particular character in, a, you know, the particular way that I'm doing it. It's something I've never had a chance to do before on stage. I don't know that I'd ever want to do it again because it is mm. exhausting. 
I yeah, did the minister's nice. wife this past summer, and I loved doing it, you know, and it was musicalization of Candida. Wonderful, brilliant, Shaw, and hugely emotional, and I don't know that I'd want to go through it again. Yeah, um, I hear that. I think that's why I take these roles, because I know I probably, I've got one good shot with them. Right. I like that answer. That's great. Well, I, totally, I totally understand that, too. <laughs> Thank you. And also, you, know you recently... The... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Oh, okay. I was going to just change gears. Uh, you, you recently did a show at Feinstein's, right, called What Makes Me Tick. So here's a two-part question for you. First okay. of all, what specifically makes you tick? And second of all, what ticks you off more than anything? <laughs> well, what makes me tick, and that's why it was, I, I love doing the concert, is uh, collaboration, uh, having a real conversation with an audience, mm-hmm. um, getting again into uh, performing character and being honest with it and getting to the core and the crack of a character. That's always what makes me tick. Great. Um, a part, you know, part of the reason that I actually did the concert was I, you know, wanted to break my own, my personal self down the same way that I break the characters down. I wanted right. to figure out what actually does make me tick, how the hell I ever got into doing this. Because right. I was not a child actor. You know, I didn't start doing yeah. this till I was in high school, and I was supposed mm-hmm. to be, a, um, quite frankly, a politician. That's what I was going <laughs> to Wow. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, hence, actor, here I am. Looks like what you chose been... right in this case. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I was going to say, they're not that far apart, are they? <laughs> no, mm-hmm. they're not. You definitely need um, the skills. But what ticks me off? is mm-hmm. a lack of risk. What ticks me off is uh, watching, I want to say, people, uh, uh, you know, in whatever it is that they're doing, playing it safe. Okay. That ticks me off beyond anything. Watching yes. people be careful, whether it be politics or whether it be on the stage. You know, we were just saying the other day, um, Stephen Schwartz, uh, who has been a, a huge supporter of our show on our opening night, you know, said, you know, very happily and boldly, this is what non-for-profit theater is for. This is the kind of work that we should be producing out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the economy and everything else, even those theaters that are developed and designed to really support creative, you know, endeavoring theater are, are you know, there's a fear of doing that nowadays. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I guess just fear ticks me off. Gotcha. I, that, that's the best way for me to put it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good really answer. interesting you say that. When uh, Erica and I went to the same college and, and it would always really, it bothered me so much when there was one year they did a main stage production of Midsummer Night's Dream and the next year they did a tour of Midsummer Night's Dream and it drove me nuts that they were always going with these safe choices and not doing something different and not doing something different with the show. You know what I mean? No good? Listen, man. I mean, I've been in New York City now as an actor on the stage for over 20 years. Um, So I've watched this business change dramatically. And I have really, you know, committed myself to being a stage actor. I believe in the form of it. I believe in the art of it. I believe in the commerce of it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. specifically, I've chosen to stay with music theater because I don't, I, it's such a unique way of expression and communication. Plays are great, but I'm sorry. I don't think a good play can truly touch in many ways a piece of really good music theater. And if it does, then it's musical in its nature anyway. 
Right. Because there's something that we have to sing out. There's there's there are multiple vernaculars in music theater to express yourself that touch people in so many different ways. And I've watched this business change. You know, we mm-hmm. all have. But being inside of it and, and being a particular creature of it, it's just fascinating to me to have seen how certain things that used to be the way to tell story mainstream have now become so fringe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is sad, in my opinion, you know. Um, and we've, you know, again, not not to say that we've backed off completely of of telling really original, u- unique story or expressing ourselves through music theater, but the kind of stuff that I'm doing off Broadway now is the kind of stuff that I was doing on Broadway. Right. Think of the wild party that we give oh, to the okay. public on Broadway. There's no way that would ever see the light of day on Broadway <laughs> now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, wow. and when you consider the fact that Sondheim's last piece was done at the public, as opposed to being produced on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it's 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 a fascinating change that's occurring. Not to say that it's a bad thing. I think we're going through transition. Right. Um, as long as we keep risking. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, Eric, Sorry, you have, uh, I, I'm sure more. you know you were expecting a lot a lighter conversation than this. No, this is great. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great. Um, Mark, do you prefer uh, performing in the intimate set in intimate settings like Feinstein's as opposed or, well, I mean, clearly performing on a Broadway stage has to be out of this world. But what are what's your favorite part of each type of venue? Intimacy is not the size of a house. Intimacy mm-hmm. is how you approach the conversation. I like that. So I, like I that love too. something like Feinstein's. I love being in a big Broadway house. I love being at the Dorothy Chanier Pavilion out in Los Angeles that seats mm-hmm. 3,500 people. Yeah. Um, it's all the same to me. It's just how you decide to approach the communication with the audience. You can have intimacy at the Dorothy Chandler. I've done it. Yeah. You know? um, or you can have, you know, great height and, and, and you know, um, great size. It's something like Feinstein's as well. Right. I, it's, I, you know, it's not the venue as much as it's just how the material. That being said, I would say one of my favorite theaters in the city, hands down, is uh, Studio 54. Yeah. That's just a, a gorgeous place, and it's warm, and the acoustics are still awesome, and, you know. And Town Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's um, a great place, too, man. Cool. Mark, to uh, lighten things up a little bit, there was a listener who called in uh, with a story about you. I want to play you this clip. Um, see if you remember this and get your reaction. Here um, we go. Mark picked him up um, for the picture and put him on his shoulders. And unbeknownst to me, the child had um, urinated in his pants. <laughs> um, oh. So unfortunately, um, he sat on Mark's shoulder <laughs> Um, wet. I don't actually know if Mark ever realized this or not. It was covered very well if he did, but the kid was soaked. <laughs> so let me let me let me let me understand this. Yeah, I put a kid on my shoulder to take a picture, uh-huh. and he relieved himself. <laughs> he had already relieved himself. It sounds like exactly. Well. I was, I think, completely unaware of that. But had I been aware of it, I probably still would have done it anyway. Oh, what a nice guy. I have heard um, that you are extremely, an extremely, extremely nice gentleman from people who 
No, you're in the business, so. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean. Let us be known to all with children. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, I wanted to, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, you did a show, A Minister's Wife at Lincoln Center, and I'm curious if it was weird going to work every day wearing that priesty collar thing. Forgive me, but what's that called again? Wow, you know what? I, I don't know what I don't. I, it's just the collar. That's 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 what anyone ever always said about it. I know that there's a particular name for it, uh-huh. but we just always called it the collar. You know, I mean, well, even the a, director. Yeah, huh? You, the director, called it the collar too. We all just said the collar. You know, just wearing mm-hmm. the collar, the white collar. Um, do you I'm know the name of it? from. On a scale from one to turtleneck, how uncomfortable is it, really? You can be on the collar. Well, you know, yeah. we had to make it. We, we well, it, it was actually. Listen, I'll tell you something. I love my costume in the minister's wife. First of all, black. I love wearing black. Every guy looks uh-huh. great in black, and that thing was beautiful. And the collar actually had an elastic, um, you know, like button to it. So when <laughs> I needed to breathe, I, I could expand, like literally when I would open up to expand my neck, it would expand with me. So it was not an uncomfortable thing to wear. Um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it tremendously. Oh, and, okay. and it felt, you know, I've played a minister three times. You right. Know? Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've played Jewish, and I am Jewish, and I've played a minister three times. <laughs> <laughs> so you've played a minister three times. Is there some sort of fetish thing that we should know about? <laughs> I like the kala. <laughs> the um, and does the re- does the religious vibe make these types of characters that you play more intense than the other characters? Do you think? No, it's just a different. Again, it's just a different belief. Every character has their belief, and so I mean, there's no difference in terms of the intensity of, say, a Carl Magnus in a little night mm-hmm. music or a Morel in um, uh, Minister's Wife. They both are actually very similar in that they have an ideal of life that they hold very strong to, and it works for them until this particular night. That's always sure. the thing you have to keep in in, um, in uh, your head when you're doing a piece of theater. Why this particular night are we watching this character? That's why we're at the theater. We're there to watch this character in this moment for a very specific reason. And that's what I usually mean by, because I think every character, quite frankly, is on the edge. Or we wouldn't be at the theater to watch them that night, you know? And so I don't think that the religious aspect of it really does anything to heighten the emotional value anymore and last. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's for the audience to do. You know, I think the thing that we have to always keep in mind as entertainers is I'm sure you guys know this. I mean, you know, as well, having a show, you have to hope and or trust or give your audience the environment to actually do work themselves. Right. You know, I always say an audience wants to work when they're there. They've paid a lot of money for it. You know, they may not even realize it, but they want to work, you know. Mm -hmm. They they, they need to be as active as we are. True. Absolutely. Um, And you... uh, Mark, you recently workshopped um, On a Clear Day with the Vineyard. Uh, that show, of course, is moving to Broadway. Uh, what was that experience like? I had a great time. You know, um, I did it as a favor, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, Harry was uh, unavailable for it, 
and Michael Mayer and I have worked together before, and I just got a call from him out of the blue, and he said, listen, you know, I realize this is a lot to ask, but we're going to be, you know, we, we have this workshop we have to do with the Vineyard Theater, and we need to do seven performances of it, and it will help us to, you know, uh, learn how to stage the show and how it lives and blah, 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 and you and I haven't been in the room in a while, and it's fun to work this way, and I know you love process, he said, so what do you say? You know, why don't you, you know, come on in for a couple of weeks and bang around, and I mean, I was already interested in the show because my friend Drew Galing, who is one of the um, stars in the play, uh, was talking about it when we were working together at Minister's Wife, and I and I thought of all the revivals this year, that's the one I want to see because it's a real revisal, mm-hmm. you know. This is a reason to revive a show, in my opinion, outside of the monetary aspect of it. There's a fresh perspective that's interesting to me. So to be offered an inside point of view to that, to work with my friends, yeah. Terry O'Malley and I known each other forever, and Drew and Michael. Did you um, work with Jesse? Jesse Mueller? Was she in the Well, I love Jesse. It's the first time I yeah. ever met her. And and I had just finished working with her sister in a minister's wife. Wow. wow. She went to school with So us. there was she all was this anyone. craziness about like, well, why not? This is gonna be so much fun. I'll perform it for a week at the vineyard. I'd never worked for them. So it was like it was like going to the Berkshires in New York City, you know? It was yeah. wonderful. Uh-huh. And I love the script. I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, I really, the way, you know, they've moved certain, you know, pieces of music around. Um, they've definitely um, taken liberty with the story. I think it's much deeper than it was before. I, I personally think it makes much more sense now. Um, I I really love the piece. Um I really love the piece, and I'm, I'm hoping for great things for them. Oh, good. That's great. Um, now, let's clarify for our listeners, by subbing in for Harry Connick Jr., it wasn't like a soccer match where he's playing one half and then you go in and play the other half, because I could imagine that being very awkward uh, during a play. No, no, no. I went in. I was there for the vineyard. I worked with them on it, you know. Um, there was they wanted to work on staging. There was some music stuff we worked on, you know, as much as they could work on it. You know, of course, Harry is in there now, and you know, he's creating the role for himself. I mean, he's creating this role now. Um, so Harry did come to see it. He did have a night where he was able to come, and we talked a little bit afterwards, which was great. I mean, you know, I, there was nothing uncomfortable at all for me. I, I knew what it was, and it was so much fun to be in there working on it. And I got to perform it, you know. I yeah. got in front of an audience with it. I got to feel what it was to play the play. You know, moving on. I love process. I have to be honest. I love the process of putting something together far more than the eight shows a week. Right. Do you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of yeah, yeah. I feel like I hear that more and more. More actors and, and directors and artists they say that the uh, they're doing process centered work more and more now rather than the, the product centered work. Well, exactly. You know, and not to say that it, there's not so much to discover once you're in front of audiences. Actually, that's when the work truly begins. But it's a lot. You know, people don't realize that you know. Eight shows a week is a lot of energy. We're athletes. We're thoroughbreds. We are the best Mm -hmm. at what we do. And eight shows a week is immensely draining. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. older you get, you know, the more you've done it, 
you know, I think that as an actor, I've gotten better and better, largely due to the fact that I have less and less energy to just throw around. So I have to be smarter with what I've got. Right. Which helps you focus and which helps you make better choices because you just don't have the energy you did when you were younger. Um, And, you know, strangely, interestingly, as I've gotten older, the roles that I've taken on are far more demanding. (laughs) So. Well, it's great, but at the same time, it's like, you know, a part of what was great about Minister's Wife, a part of what's great about doing the Blue Flower now is that it's in these, it's in these um, you know, um, non-for-profit uh, houses in New York City, Second Stage and Lincoln Center, where they have limited mm-hmm. runs. So you know what your run is going to be, and you yeah, know you've got a, per- a particular amount of time to hit it, and... You know, so you get this brief shining moment to really work on this piece. And in some ways, it's sad because, you know, when you're in a Broadway show and it's a long run, you get to really experience it over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. That said, I just don't, like, I don't know how long I could do Blue Flower. Yeah, what you're doing, yeah. I, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so exhausting. You know, I remember when we were doing 9 to 5 and we closed and I was like, I just didn't know how much longer I could do that. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean... We, you know, it's funny. I remember, you know, Dabney Coleman came and saw us out in Los Angeles, who, of course, was the original Frank Hart in the film. And he just looked at me, shook my hand, and said, you do that eight times a week? <laughs> and I said, you got it eight times a I week. Sure He's like, did. yeah, I only had to do that stuff. Like, I, I shot it three days. That was it. You yeah. know? Wow. And I think that audiences, again, they don't realize. Of course Or not. they realize, but they don't really take really. the fact that. We just really do that to ourselves eight times a week. Yep. But you're so good at it. I mean. Well, I appreciate that, <laughs> but I'm getting older. You know, it's like, I, seriously, though, I look at, you know, my friend Sutton Foster, who is just, yes, my I mean, idol. my God, that woman's got energy for days. And how she mm-hmm. does, anything goes, eight shows a week. Astounds me. It's astounding. <laughs> astounds me how most of, any of my friends do it like that, you know? I mean, it's really, it, it's mine, even with an audience giving you so much energy. Right. You know, and of course, I end up, of course, going for, I'm always lured to the darker material. So right. it's not the stuff that people are applauding. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway. So you're not getting the energy that the audible it's energy from the crowd. Well, it's a different kind of energy. I right. love yeah. when 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 it's when it's so quiet you can hear a pin drop. That's an, a huge amount of energy from an audience. And that particularly I enjoy that far more anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, uh comedy, you know, people say comedy is hard. I don't think comedy is as hard as people think it is. Um, I think that if you're honest and you're you're present and in the moment, comedy comes naturally. Um that said, um, telling something very unabashedly and very unapologetically can be quite a challenge sometimes and mm-hmm. takes quite a bit of energy. Yeah. Well, Mark, I know you got to go, but this was awesome. I can't thank you enough for doing it. And I'm glad that we were able to <laughs> alert you that you had had a kid on your on your shoulders with urine in his pants. Yeah, well, you know, sure. Now, yeah, now, now I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go check all my clothes. <laughs> um, thank you, you so much, sir. This is awesome. Oh yeah, my pleasure, you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Have a great night. Check them out. Blue Flower. Uh, second. Yeah, period. come on. I'm telling you now. 
come see the blue flower because there is nothing else like it anywhere. And that's what we want to hear awesome. and what we want to see. Yeah. Absolutely. All Have right, a good night, sir. You do the same. Thank you. Um, all right. And just a minute, we have Chad Kachula coming up. Um, well, how awesome was that, Erica? That was awesome. <laughs> that was great. There's, there's so many, like, little quotes and sound bites and stuff that just are so relevant to the theater and, and what we all love that, we, it, you know, now, we now have forever from the last 20 to 30 minutes. Absolutely. I'm really, really glad for that. We'll have to look, I'm going to have to listen to a lot of that back because, I think, yeah, I think you're right. There was a lot of uh, useful information from Mark Kudish. Smart guy. Absolutely. Very, very good. On four, my, my soccer joke did not land. You were, I guess you were right about that. I told you, oh, soccer and theater yeah. don't mix. Nobody <laughs> watches soccer. Unless it's... <laughs> All right. Well, um, our next guest is a talented musician who will be at the Gaslight Saloon in Regina, Saskatchewan, on November 26th at 10 p.m. Please welcome Chad Kachula. Hey, Chad. Hello. Hi. Hello, Chad. Thanks for having me. Hi. Uh, It's actually pronounced Regina, so we got a few jokes, but uh, it's uh, Regina. Regina. Yes. Yeah, so oh, it's Regina. It. I, I was like, did he say what I think he said? Oh, Regina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we get that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant your name for a second. I was like, wait, Chad Vagina? Chad oh, Regina? No, no, no. no. It's no. good that you should consider it. You should consider yeah. that. <laughs> no. That would get the audience's attention. Well, Chad, I just have to, I have to read off some of the, the review, what reviewers have said about you because I've never seen a voice described as such. One reads, it's beefy Americana, driven by Chad Kachula's big, cocky voice. Sick of wuss rock, this is as macho as it gets without resorting to Metallica. Another reads, his booming voice delivers two-fisted power to this combustible mix of folk, country, and the blues. So what is it about your voice that makes people describe it as such? There's, there's a lot of little sexual innuendos in there. I mean, yeah, this is the power of I didn't get that on my first record. I, uh... I, I kind of been developing, I guess, my voice. I didn't realize it was going in that direction, to be honest. But yeah, uh, I just, you know, it's, um, I've always been trying to develop my voice right from, right from the start. Um, and it's one of the tougher things to find. And uh, there's a few artists there that you do notice the differences in their voices as they progress. Um, mm-hmm. And they and male artists too, seem to get a little deeper because there's a fullness there. Um, I never really thought of it as cocky, but um, um, I did l- like that quote, and uh, um, my friends like the comparison to the uh, to the Metallica quote as well. So um, they were they were clever on that one. Um, but uh, it has been referred to as since, and I know it's uh, since my first record. I've kind of left the. I was I think the first record I was trying to sound a lot like Springsteen. Um, mm-hmm. In the next couple records, I've kind of found my own voice, which uh, has been described as such. Um, but yeah, it's just a little how bit of work, you, and you just find it. Was, go ahead. How would how would you personally describe your voice? Three fisted? How many fists exactly? <laughs> I'm not even sure what it means, but I like that. Uh, um, I like that kind of um, uh, description there. I just, you know, I I do I, I work outside. I, I I I run a tree company up here in yeah. Canada, and I'm constantly um, having to yell above equipment. 
and uh, I think it's 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 developed a certain amount of strength. I think over the years, um, or maybe it's destroyed it a little bit. I don't know, but um, it's it's a quite a loud environment, and I'd like to think that some of what I do translates into into in, into the art that I produce. Um, I like to think it comes from somewhere. Um, but I, I don't know how many fists I'd say it would be. <laughs> I, I have a question bouncing off of uh, of your your. Uh, you have a full time cutting and pruning trees by day forestry company. Yes, as you're talking about, yeah. um, and you're a songwriter. So, do you ever do, do you ever marry the two? Any inspiration come out of pruning trees for your songwriting? Uh, you know, like um, you know, when you're in the gear and, and you're working away, and as long as like something's not going to be falling on your head, uh, you tend to daydream. And a lot yeah. of times songs will come into my, like song ideas, I shouldn't say songs, song ideas will travel into my brain, and I'll work with them. And if I'm lucky enough to remember them when I get home, I'll work on right. them. Right. Uh, and then if I'm if I'm missing a verse, if there's a last verse that's killing me, I know uh, on a job site, I'll work through it. I've done this lots of times. I'll be working through it if I'm running branches through a chipper, that kind of thing. You know, it's... Right. Uh, you like to think that your mind's on the job, but a lot of times, uh, there's. <laughs> I, I like to think that there's a percentage of your brain that can do some other stuff, and and right. uh, especially with all the noise around, it's nice to be thinking of something a little nicer. So it does. There's there's a marriage in between the uh, yeah. times. I wouldn't say we all the mo- time. Like I said, sometimes it's quite dangerous what we do, but in the times where it's, uh, um, you know, you're just cleaning up and and stuff like that, then 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 definitely um, those things come to mind because I don't have a lot of time like. Uh, like some other um, some other artists, um, I work like ten hours in a day, and I have I have kids when I get home, and I could write like when I when when the business was slow when I first started, and I didn't have kids, I would write like three songs a week, and I remember reading that Willie Nelson would write three songs a week, and now none of mine were because Willie Nelson's I'm sure, but uh, now I can't do that kind of volume. I have to try and and squeeze it in a little bit as I'm working, like just and try and save it, and uh, and then the quiet time at home, things have changed a bit. Um, uh-huh. I like to think I'm more selective in the songs I write. I think the three songs I was writing a week, uh, five or six years ago, when compared to what I'm doing uh, now. But uh, also, I'm, it's a little harder to find ideas as you've kind of yeah, you know, written you right. creativity in that sense. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, now, Chad, not to be a creep or anything, but I'm looking through some of your pictures on your site, and there's this this rugged one of you in a big old man's manly truck that I guess could be a wood chipper you're sitting in sitting oh, there yeah, with yeah. your man boots on and the manly-looking tree stumps just sitting there. This is pretty <laughs> darn rugged. Uh, I take it you're an out, you're, you just said you, you were an outdoorsman. On a scale from uh, one to ruggedy-rugged, how rugged would you say you are? Uh, I, I guess i give a nine, give room for someone else to jump uh, <laughs> at it. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's right. It's an old it's an old uh, chipper we got. We got a few, and but I just like the older one. It's got some character, and, and we took some pictures in August, and you know, I kind of, I've, I don't know why it's taken me five years to uh, to kind of recognize it, but um, to kind of show people what I do during the day, uh, being it takes up most of what I do, and I do think it represents in the work that I produce as well. Um, plus, I think it makes me more interesting. You know, like I don't consider myself a very interesting person, so um, <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of like looking at what possibly could someone find me interesting besides my music, because there's got to be a story there, and. Um, or your hope, and, you know, the work was always there, and uh, uh, I think what I do, not a lot of people do, not a lot of people um, can or want to uh, climb 90 feet up into a tree and cut pieces and lower them down, or, you know, go out in the woods and just, you know, drop a big tree. Now, a lot of people like the idea of it, and maybe just to do it once, but to do it every day, um, you know, it's hard on the body. I've been doing it for 10 years, and, you know, you start to creak and crack, and, um 
it's just something I think that makes uh, for an interesting story behind where the music comes from. Um, I didn't come from a rough family. Um, there's, you know, there's no sad story. Um, so um, I don't know why it took me so long to find one, but I, I think everyone needs a story to, just to let people know who you are, I guess, um, more than just what the music yeah. is. Yeah, well, nine on the ruggedy rugged scale is pretty ruggedy rugged. Are you sitting in a wood chipper right now as we're doing this interview? No, 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 uh, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> so you just like the story just went out the window. I'm sitting in a. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love this story. I think that's extremely interesting, actually, because you're right. You Before do have to we have... get off wood chippers, um, the, <laughs> it, it, I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, and my yep. friend Aaron Zaruba is from uh, Newtown, Connecticut. And people always rag on New Haven for being very dangerous and violent and stuff. However, in Newtown, Connecticut, a guy put his wife through a wood chipper. What? Okay. Yeah. Well, we do hear, geez, um, I hear at least once a month from somebody uh, about, um, actually, I just heard it two days ago from my mechanic saying, oh, I hear if you freeze a body, it's easier to chip it through it, um, <laughs> which I've heard that one before, too. I, I heard that from an old tree tree cutting guy and I just I never really thought about you know I don't I don't really think about it too much because if you think about um you know you respect what the what the machine can do of course and and it and the size of machines we do run it'll suck you through no problem oh. um I've heard of stories where the machine stops and the people go outside and they're wondering where the guy is and then they figure out that it was the steel toe boots that stopped the uh that stopped the machine oh. um you know there's there's some gruesome stuff I get the Fargo stuff all the time um, so, and it, it doesn't bother me. I find it kind of, you know, if, if someone could find my job interesting, um, as, as I do, then, uh, you know, I'll entertain it and I, and I, I have a really good sense of humor. So it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard to really ruffle my feathers, kind of like stuff like that. So I entertain it, uh, as many times as I've heard it, uh, <laughs> as I've heard it over the last, uh, 10 or 12 years. Yeah. Wow. wow. I bet you've probably met a couple of people in your life that you've wanted to put through a wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people, some customers recommend people. Um, <laughs> no, I've, uh, they I've, beg uh, for it. I've, I've, I've never really thought about it too much. It's my machine, and if I had to clean it afterwards after that, uh, I think it would be that's worth true. it. <laughs> Good point. Didn't think about the cleanup involved. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so I guess uh, I have I heard... thought this through a little more than I admitted. I heard that you once wrote a full song while, or yeah, I read that you wrote a full song while watching Cool Hand Luke. How did that work? What was that writing process for you? Oh yeah, um, that was World Shaker. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I love that movie and I've watched it a couple times, and a lot of times, uh, same thing with Killer. Uh, very same similar thing is that when you're watch, when you're watching something that's uh, like, I know other artists that that I follow, they've been highly influenced by films and books and stuff like that. And uh, Cool Hand Luke I just found so influential, and I was just sitting there with my acoustic guitar, and really it's just a couple chords, and uh, I just followed this, I, you know, with a little bit of addition and stuff like that, um, I followed the storyline of that of that, um, of that that movie and uh, wrote the song, and I wrote it quite quickly. Um, I remember I was, I was immediately excited about it. Like, I know, you know, you write songs and, and, you, and you enjoy them, but I was really quite excited about this, and I got as couple of musicians I knew I'd get in right away uh, just to play it, just to see, just to bounce it off of them. And it's still like, when it comes to the lyrics of that song, like, you know, the the ideas are definitely influenced by by a direct uh, by a direct art. Um, it's it's still like, you know, top two, top three songs that I'm pretty proud of, if not the first oh. one. Um, I just, uh, the lyrics that I came up with, I was, I was pretty impressed with after I watched the movie that I came up with those lyrics because 
the movie didn't tell you those lyrics, but you came up with them as you did it. Right. And uh, actually, I thought that song was going to take me somewhere. To tell you the truth, I thought the I thought the Americana um, people on either side of the border, um, as you mentioned, from Canada, would take pick up that song because I was I, I played for people and 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 I have friends in the business, and they're like, you know, I'm going to send this to movie people and stuff like that. This is a this is a powerful song, and I was thinking, finally, you know, like I'll you know. Because um, you don't get, you know, you don't get, you don't know when your break is going to come. You don't oh, know when yeah. it's ever going to come. But you know, it never really happened. It's, it's in my, it's, it's something. I guess uh, uh, when people find me, there's a gem sitting there. Like I believe it is. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's not quite country and it's, it's not quite rock. And I think that was maybe an issue with it. But I thought maybe in the film industry there'd be something. You're just hoping that you could reach us to a broader audience because anybody that's heard the song has said very positive things. Uh, there's a DJ in town that tells me he plays it every second show. You know that he does, uh, wow. which is which is which is nice because when I started off with this, I just was hoping I could play my guitar in front of three strangers and they would listen to my stuff. And that's about where I am more. right now. So I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just want you just you just want to have someone besides um, you know besides your, your family or, or yourself hearing. Your yeah, mom, yeah, yeah, <laughs> precisely. Um, who could be your worst critic? <laughs> or whatever lady is just playing. Why are you so depressed? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't catch that. Or whatever lady you just put through the wood chipper, she could be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah that's where the critics go. True. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, no. Um, uh, Killer was influenced. Um, if we're going on that, uh, um, uh, Killer was uh, influenced by watching um, um, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, and in the same week, watching The Godfather, and mixing huh. those two kind of. Uh, uh, dark movies uh, together and kind of came up with that. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm hugely uh, influenced by Springsteen's Nebraska album, which when I hear what I wrote in that song, I, I, I write nothing as, as good as what he writes in Nebraska. Um, not, I, I, you know, I hate saying anything negative about myself. It's more of a positive, I guess, for, for Bruce, is that, that he's at such a, a level. Um, but the stuff he wrote in Nebraska was so dark, and it just translated a story so well, and you just try and, you try and um, achieve that on everything that you right. write. You could have some fun songs, and I've written fun songs, but uh, I try and write things that are a little more serious, similar on the storyline, so that the song means something to me, I guess, yeah, uh, and anyone that would listen to it. That's got some depth to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of songs out there that don't have depth, and I don't really want to compete with artists that, uh, um, you know, would be more more of the bubblegum variety. Um, right. But I know you know I know you have to have like melody and everything else. Like there's a you know there's things that people want to hear, but. Um, it's, I, I think it's nice to write about something, I guess is what I'd say. Right, right. And I also read that for a period of time uh, you chose not to record in the studio to remove restrictions and experiment. Uh, I, experiment how? Like what people do in college kind of experiment? Or? Well, I thought I was going to save money too, but it didn't work out that way. The project <laughs> uh, got uh, got big. Uh, we did one experiment. We were in a studio where they gave you, uh, when we recorded Runners of the Night and and, and – I love those songs, and we most of our live performances, a lot of them come, like a lot of the songs we do come from that record. It's uh, very rock and roll, and if there is anything country, it's very upbeat. Um, it was it was your typical move uh, uh, studio. It was the high, best studio we could uh, get here in town. Um, if you wanted something to sound like um, top forty uh, country or top forty rock, that was the place. That's the place to go. Um, okay. And we did that, but there wasn't a lot of room for messing. Um, for experimenting with sounds and instruments and stuff like that. It just didn't seem right. like that kind of environment. So we did stuff on our own on, on mobile recording. Um, we recorded in garages. Um, uh, we recorded in basements. We recorded in a really nice hall. Um, 
record people's living rooms. So we just any place we get a nice sound out of, um, uh, we would we would we would work in. Um, the 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 issue with that is that you had so many tracks all over the place, and you had them on different computers, that mm-hmm. it was it was a major obstacle trying to pull this thing together after 18 months because it's like, well, where's this track? Oh, it's on this hard drive. Um, I was working with Matt Kite, my guitarist, um, who was producing with me, and, and and all this stuff was on his computer, and that was a pro- that was an issue for me too. Is that I didn't have any of my stuff. It was all over the place on all those different hard drives. So we eventually did take it to a studio, and I probably paid more than I would have if I had just done it all the same. But Aww. the sounds that we would have missed, uh, um, the experimentations that we had, like we did multiple, multiple tracks, um, and we did we tried so many different things that uh, I don't think I would have felt the freedom to do in a studio uh, with strangers around. It was nice working with somebody right. that I trusted and knew how to work with. And I think that that's... That's nice to listen to on this record is listening back to that and saying, oh yeah, yeah, we kind of we tried that and it really worked. Or I remember this part that we took out, um, and there's just some things that didn't work because we weren't professional engineers uh, that we uh, that we had to leave out or they just we had to bury a little bit. But there's a lot of layers in this album, and I and I and I and I really like that. It's 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 got a little uh, it's got a lot more texture than the than than Runners Night, but Runners Night is like a much more straightforward mainstream record. Well, I think this is more. Um, um, college um, um, indie stuff, um, and and I, I like having you, uh, that because that's where I started. Go ahead. Uh, so what were these things that you did uh, that you uh, didn't want to do in front of strangers? What what, what were these things? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, just trying different keyboard effects. Like uh, Killer has uh-huh. like two different keyboards effects in there. Uh, we run off. Uh, it was a 1990s um, effects keyboard, which we never would have brought into uh, a stuffy studio. Like I just wouldn't have. Um, and and we have like ice fields in the background. Like it just we got to create so many layers on on Killer. And, and when people listen to Killer, um, they they immediately like just really dig uh, if they like something that's dark and uh, a little little bit trippier or stuff like that. It's um, they really dig it because if you listen to it, there's like there's a couple really interesting keyboard lines underneath there. Uh, Mother's Cry, um, um, it, we we did the we did claps and and shakers and stuff like that in the living room, and we mixed we tried different variations of it. I don't think I would have done that with the clock ticking in the studio. Um, and 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 a lot of engineers try and become producers on you, uh, especially if you think if you try experimenting or you're a little unsure about something. They'll try and become producers on you, and either you get a little angry and tell them, you know, kind of, yeah, I gotta back off, or you just kind of just get small and 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 just kind of put it away. And 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 this record, we got to do whatever we wanted to. Not that you know we couldn't have in another environment. Just I think it was a comfort level, um, and it was just the amount of time that we got to spend on this. It was our own time whenever we had time off, because uh, Matt I work with, so when we were slow, we could just go do it. Studios, you got to book in advance, and and you're kind of under pressure right. to develop something in a session, you know. So yeah. maybe something like what people had in the old days when they had big budgets from record labels, and they could just spend years in the studio, months in the in the studio, and produce absolutely nothing. Um, but an artist like myself, you know, where you're paying off your own dime, you can't do that. Um, you can't record 20, 30 tracks and keep 10 of them and never release the other ones, you know. Uh, it'd be mm-hmm. great to try those out, but you more or less have to sort themselves at live shows and, and playing them 100 million times at home uh, to see if you still like the song, you know, after you want to spend <laughs> money on it kind of thing. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> Chad, you mentioned um, Springsteen several times in this interview thus far. Uh, I, I heard that you are uh, recording one of the boss's old songs. Uh, which song and... and What's it like uh, covering Bruce? Uh, it's something that um, I've toyed with for a long time. 
um, um, but it's something else I've treated with the utmost respect in knowing that uh, if you do record uh, Springsteen or Johnny Cash song, you better do it with you better yeah just do it with the utmost respect to do it uh, do it right um, uh, you know and 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 you know because not just because you're going to listen to it I, I consider myself a pretty good critic of anybody that does covers of of of, of songs. Um, but also that there's fans of his that might listen to yours, and you know I'm aware of that as well. Um, it, the song is uh, Reason to Believe, and this record that I'm doing right now, it's very, very blue collar. It's everything I, like I was saying earlier, like I have this story, and I've never, I've kind of just uh, not really avoided, but just never approached it. And this record is totally about uh, where I have been, where I am. Um, it's, it's, it's the blue collar thing. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's the challenges that. That, that we face on a daily basis um, amongst how many other million people that do similar work and, and are in a similar uh, um, um, environment. So I just couldn't tie it together. I, I, I was trying to write a song to tie it together, and um, Reason to Believe just pulled it all together. Um, and we did it very simple. Like when Springsteen did it on Nebraska 81, he, um, he recorded on a four-track recorder in his house. Every intention of recording this, uh, a lot of these songs with the band, when he recorded them with the band, it just never had the same. There's just something missing. Uh, so they went back to the tapes, and he tried recording them solo without the band, and they still never achieved it. So Bruce just pulled out this tape and said, here's the record. Um, and it was just done in his house. So it was just him and his acoustic guitar and harmonica. And we, we added drums, and um, and I added electric guitar, but we still kept it really stark. Uh, we didn't want to really experiment much with it, just because it's such a great song as it is. Uh, but ultimately, it just pulled the album together. Um, and, and, and why not? You know, like... Uh, there's other artists I really respect that do record other people's songs. I just have never done it. Uh, I still have to figure out what I have to pay Bruce <laughs> and stuff. Uh, when I right. do it all, I just because I've never done it. Um, I've always just been able to write um, an album to say that's it. But I, um, I just couldn't pull all these songs together um, in a proper way. Um, and and obviously turning to Bruce was uh, was a was a great option for me. Plus, it allowed me to yep. um, to do something I'd wanted to do. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I got to uh, thank you for that explanation, but I have no idea what you just said because I, as you were explaining that, looked out my window and saw my uh, neighbors uh, uh, banging with the, in, like, with the lights on and the shades up and everything, and that was, I'm incredibly distracted right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about it. Okay. That. I think I'm scarred for for life now. Um, Chad, <laughs> are they hot at uh, least? Let's. Um, I'm, are you uh, not really? Nope. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, are you but, the Are you, know you the one in the violent town or, or not in the violent town? I'm the one from the violent town. You're from the oh, violent town. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. The violent town without the wood chippers, though. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if you if you park one in front of your place, they might not bang so loud. Yeah, we we could use one of those right now. Well, I think now is a great time to play a game. Um, Let's let me um, try and recover from this. Uh, Erica, what are we about to play? Is it hot or hot mess? Yep. Let's go. All right, uh, All right, Erica, you know the rules to this. Chad Kachula, the rules to this game are I'm going to give you a list of things. You tell me if they are hot or a hot, uh, if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Okay, and a hot mess meaning? <laughs> hot uh, mess, so I mean, it's really up to you, but usually it means bad. 
Bad. Bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to confirm because yeah, yeah, up in here, uh, way up here in Saskatchewan. He's a rugged man. He doesn't use he doesn't use the gay terms like hot mess. He's a rugged, oh, okay. rugged <laughs> nine scale man. But okay, hot mess is a probably a gay term. Set it down, Lustig. Let's go with okay. Bruce Springsteen. Hot or hot mess, Chad? Hot. <laughs> Eric, I don't have to explain it or just hot. hot. Okay. Hot, you can just yeah. whatever you want to do. How about okay. um how, how about Woody Guthrie, Chad? Hot or hot mess? Hot. Hot. Eric Lustig. <laughs> I can't comment. I don't listen to it. I, I'll say hot because Chad said hot. <laughs> All right. How about? I don't about, want to offend him. He's a wood chipper. Let's go. <laughs> let's go with uh, Bob Dylan. Eric Lustig. Hot or hot now? Hot. Hot. Chad Catula. Definitely hot. Definitely hot. Um, and how about Justin Bieber? Chad. Hot mess. Sorry. <laughs> and, and Erica. <laughs> Now you're embarrassing me in front of a of a of a rugged wood chipper man, but I I I, I mean you shouldn't you know be embarrassed. My, you're a believer. You know I don't know I, I thought I'm you were. I'm a believer. I am a believer. I have believer. an I have an affinity for Justin Bieber because he is a young and a talented young man. Yeah, so I, I have no doubt that he's talented, probably talented and stuff like that. I just. Uh, um, not your cup of tea. <laughs> not my cup of tea. Uh, yeah, no, that's just and you know that's the beauty of, of having so much music out there is you can pick and choose. Absolutely. Like. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> um, this next part of Hot or Hot Mess, I'm going to play you an audio clip. Um, you tell me if this is hot or a hot mess. Uh, this is from the GOP presidential debate last Wednesday night. <laughs> and I will tell you. It's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> Com- five. Oh, five. Yeah, okay. So five. commerce, education, and uh, the um, uh, EPA? EPA. There you go. No, okay. Let's stop. Let's stop. Seriously? Is EPA no. the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the... Um, agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But There's you no can't, doubt about but that. But you can't name the third one. The third agency of government. Yeah. I would. I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce. And let's see. I can't. The third one. I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Uh, uh, hot. It's- or hot mess, Erica. I cringe worse and worse every time I hear it. That is the hot, one of the hottest messes I've seen in weeks. <laughs> and uh, Chad, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say hot, and and the reason is, is are you gonna give us three reasons? Nice, it would be nice. It would be nice if uh, we had if if our politicians were half as entertaining, even to laugh at, laugh with. Um, but uh, our politicians up here are extremely boring, so. <laughs> <laughs> we get we I listen to CNN just to watch the like the entertainment value of some of your politicians which uh they're not my politicians so um if they were I'd probably say hot mess but uh <laughs> they're, they're not mine so I will say hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah entertainment that's true. The entertainment totally. We we get CNN up here and and uh and I'm aware of the uh sex scandals with some of the GOP and the uh and then yeah that that was quite funny. Um, I actually told I, I don't watch CNN all the time. I had to be told by some friends to turn it on. And sure enough, you turn it on and it's there. You know, it's the next day and it's still on as soon as you turn on the TV. So, um, but yeah, no, I found it quite funny. Um, and uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is it'd be funny if he still has a chance after all that. Oh God, that would not be funny. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at 
uh, Bill Clinton still had a chance after his first allegations of sexual misconduct because then he was elected after, um, what's her name, Jennifer Flowers, right? Uh, however, comparing Bill Clinton to Herman Cain is pretty impossible, you know? Yeah, 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 no. They can't probably, really do yeah. it. Sure, yeah. Um, okay, well, i tell you what, um, uh, Chad, let's, we're going to uh, finish it off here. Let's let's play our listeners out with a song of yours. Um, check them out, chadtichula.com. And I got uh, Minor Road, Still Around, Killer, or uh, uh, A Few Dollars More. Which one would you have me uh, say goodnight uh, let's, with? Let's do Still Around. Still Around. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Chad, thank you so much for doing it, sir. Hey, no thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. And um, Erica, uh, I, yeah. I love you. Will you marry me? Uh. Well, it's a step up from Twitter, so I'll consider it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's Chad. Nice talking with you. Still around. Nice to meet you, Chad. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night.
Chad Kachula. Check him out, chadkachula.com. Hey, Erica. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey. You know what I, I decided? I decided that the next time you co-host with me, I'm going to tell you the story of how Norm MacDonald saved my life. Okay. I'm excited for that story. I am too, and I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Uh, I have to wait that long? Then, okay. Yes. I'm I'm not going to tell you unless it's on the air. Okay. And with now, that, I'm going to go what? watch Dirty Work. What did you say? So with that, I'm going to go watch Dirty Work. <laughs> Um, you should watch watch one of these roasts, one of these uh, like the Bob Saget roast. Norm Macdonald's just sitting there doing the crossword puzzle the entire time. <laughs> I love him. Uh. Uh, he's the man saved my life. Um, so uh, follow us, Blazing Rye Radio on Twitter. Uh, me, Blazing Rye on the Twitter. Uh, Erica is Eluck Chad Kachula. Follow him at Chad Kachula appropriately. And Mark Kudish does not have a Twitter. Um, but I just think he's he's above the rest of us, it seems. Yeah, he is. He doesn't need one. Uh, he does not need one. He's he he actually speaks. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. For real. Uh, fair enough. Well, um, we'll be back on uh, what the hell day is today? Is it Monday? Oh my God, it's only Monday. It's Monday. Okay. <laughs> we will be back. On Thursday night. Um, and hey, uh, happy early birthday. Thank you. Come to the watering hole on Friday, everybody. <laughs> One and all. Every, <laughs> everybody must come to the watering hole. To the watering Erica's hole birthday, on Friday. 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 Ready? Go. How is this going to work? You're not You're not going to be working while you're. Uh, who's hosting? Uh, Kenny's going to host me while I enjoy myself oh, at the watering hole. Kenny's going to host. Yeah. So it's going to be just a big old mess. It's going to be great. Awesome. All right. Well, I can think of uh, no better way to end the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And Erica, any final thoughts? Um, nope. I think you covered everything. <laughs> I right. wish I had thought of something quirky to say, but I will prepare one for next time. I figured I would give you a moment, like a Jerry Springer final thought moment. You didn't yeah. warn me. I'm really not good on the yeah, phone. I, I wanted to see off the cuff what you could come up with. I mean, it's not nothing to be ashamed of. It's just I'm, ta- I, I'm still asleep. <laughs> now, hasn't fully worn off. Um, well, I tell you what, uh, you did amazing. I think if everybody, tonight, thank you so much. Thank you. If everybody wants a final thought, go listen to the "I Got AIDS" song and just listen to the monologue at the end. <laughs> That's and my you come thought. back with a home run. That's that's my Erica Lustig. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. there you are. Well, good night, Soho. Good night. Bye.